Hello, and welcome back to Jetavanaram Buddhist Monastery. Today, I want to continue from where we left off last week. We had an interesting conversation. It was probably a tad bit heavier than usual, but that is to be expected, isn't it? As we move forwards and as we broaden our understanding and we approach new topics, new areas of discussion to further our path to achieving nothing other than our one goal, our one aim, which has never changed and which will never change. That, of course, is unconditional happiness. We will encounter new grounds. So, we encroached on some new ground and might have left a few people enlightened, perhaps a few others a bit perplexed even. But that's quite all right, because I did promise. Don't get worried about something if you don't get it first time. You can always go back and sometimes just listening to it once or twice is all you need. And sometimes you'll, all you just have to do is wait for the next week's talk. And when we get back together, we continue from where we left off. And sometimes, perhaps it's one or two talks further down the line, that things start to make more sense. And then you go back and you revisit some of the previous talks. And actually, it makes a whole lot of sense. This is a very natural process. And I suppose it's not just in the path to enlightenment, but also in most aspects of life and learning new things and new skills, new disciplines. So today, I would like to continue from where we left off because we started to have a conversation around who an Arahant is. This is all prompted by a very pertinent, a very poignant question that was put forward by some of our listeners and it was very promising to see that such intelligent questions have been coming through which is only evidence that a very intellectual audience have tuned in to our talks. I don't always expect numbers but you see it's not and I'm sorry to be using this cliche it's not the numbers, it's not in quantity but quality that we take satisfaction. It is true though, because the Lord Buddha himself has known to have said many times over to his disciples, to his closest disciples, to his chief attendant. You'll see many of these remarks strewn across the which is the canonical books that we use to learn the Dhamma, where he has said so many times that very few will actually 
one, be able to listen, come across this teaching, and even fewer will actually understand and comprehend it. And here's the thing, even fewer will actually fully, through full comprehension, achieve enlightenment. So, when the great master, the great teacher, he who is the fountain of wisdom, insight, knowledge, has uttered, has claimed that, who are we to debate, argue? But that shouldn't stop us from making an effort because, well, how do we know? Perhaps we are one of the chosen few. It's not that someone's choosing us, but it takes a great deal of merit. I did mention this on one of the talks. We need to discuss the topic of merits at, at length one of these days. And I promise you that we will do because it's such an important, it's such a crucial part of our journey. We need all the merits that we can acquire. One day you will realize that it is indeed ultimately merits that have taken you this far. It is merits that have brought you this far and it is merits that will take you through this journey and to completion. But all of that is yet to come. I'm just giving you a teaser. Without further ado then, let us continue where we left off last week. Because I did leave you with a question, do you remember? What was that question? We have come to learn that we are so many things to so many people. Haven't we? We call ourselves by names that other people have given us. We call ourselves by professions that other people have given us. These are all conventional names and references. You could either call yourself by your name, John, Smith, Jane, Harry, and so on. Or you could say, I'm a doctor, a lawyer, a fireman, a police officer, a scientist, a biomedic. And again, these are all titles that other people have agreed to allow us to use. And therefore, we are at their mercy. So, we were left with the question, who are we really? At our core, who are we? Take away everyone on this planet and you are left all by yourself. Now who are you? You can't say you are Jane because you learned that you were Jane. You can't say you are Tom because you learned that you were Tom. You didn't come into this world knowing that you were called Tom, did you? Someone agreed that that is what they'd call you. And you are what someone decided you ought to be. And the same goes for things like, I'm a doctor, I'm a professor, I'm a scientist, I'm a teacher, and so on. Or again, you could call us, you could say, you're a father, a mother, a grandfather, uncle, aunt. These are all conventions. We are what other people say we are. Don't you think so? You are the composite of what other people have decided 
have agreed as a convention to refer to you. You are a strata of all these conventions. Therefore, we need to remove these layers one at a time. Dig deep until we get to our core. Who are we really? When everyone is taken away, when everything is taken away, when all the conventions have been removed and taken away, who are you at your core? We need to get to that. Because that's when we really begin to understand ourselves. After all, that is what this is all about. This is our quest to understand the real me. So I'm going to help you with that. But before we do that, let's take a moment to pay homage to the most magnificent one, the perfect one, the infinitely merciful one, the infinitely compassionate one. This is none other than the Lord Buddha. Let us take a moment to pay homage to the great master, to our ultimate teacher, and then we'll continue where we left off. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Right then. Who are you? Yes, you. Who are you? Now you know you can't answer this question with stuff that you've learnt about yourself. Can you? Things that you didn't know when you came into life, things that you had to learn about yourself, you can't now use to describe who you are because then you're talking about something superficial. You know, it's almost like if you ask an actor while he's acting, who are you? Well, they're going to say, they're going to give you the part that they're playing in the film. Yeah, or even if it's a stage drama. You walk up to someone, or, you know, even the characters in the stage drama, they ask each other, who are you? And one goes, well, you know, I'm Sherlock Holmes. Really? We know that that's a fictional character. So how come a guy standing on stage says, I'm Sherlock Holmes? Because he's playing a part. He's an actor. So the scriptwriter, the director, the other actors on stage, they have all come to a convention that for the duration of this play, we shall call you Sherlock. So that's not who he really is. To find out who he really is, you need to go backstage before he dresses up. Yeah? Now, in much the same way, I'm asking you, who are you? 
So you know you can't give me the roles that you're playing in the different arenas of your life. At the workplace, you are someone. At the club, you're someone else. At the pub, you're someone else. At the sports club, you're someone else. At home, you're yet someone else. Among your friends, you're someone completely different. Don't you? And when you're all by yourself, oh no, <laughs> that's a that's a whole new ball game. When you're among your subordinates, you're someone else. When you're in the presence of your seniors, now that's someone very different. When no one knows who you are, now again you're very different, aren't you? People get up to all sorts of things when they believe that they're unknown to the people around them. And they act and behave in very different ways when they believe that people around them know who they are. Among people who are known to you, you're very careful, very cautious. So you see, change the scenario, change the arena, and you're a different person. In much the same way, an actor goes through the various roles that he plays. Sometimes you have the same actor playing multiple roles in the same drama. You've seen that. Double actors. In some cases, the hero is the villain. All they have to go through is a makeup change. When the guy is in green, he's the good guy. The same guy, he just goes and gets dressed in red and now he's the bad guy. So it would be short-sighted and really very narrow-sighted to define oneself as the role that one plays in the different arenas that one has to do this. Because it is entirely a concoction of what other people, the observer, wishes for you to be has allowed for you to be, wants you to be. But who are you really? Let's find out. Let's take a very objective view at who you are. Okay? So, now you're going to have to play with me on this. Try and forget everything you know about yourself. <laughs> I know, that's a difficult one. But do try. Try and forget everything you know about yourself. In other words, everything you've learned about yourself. So this includes things like your profession, your citizenship, of which country you are a citizen, what your nationality is, what your job is, how old you are, what your name is, whether you're single or married. These are all things that you learned about yourself, aren't they? 
whether you're someone's son or someone's nephew. Try and forget all this for a second. So in other words, forget about all the relationships that you have to and with other people. So you are all now by yourself. It's just you and I. I'm talking to you. So actually, this is just a voice encouraging you to think in a certain way. Just even forget that Bhante is talking to you because then otherwise, you know, I'm the speaker and you're the listener. That again is a convention. So ignore all that. You just listen to the vo- this voice and imagine that you are all by yourself. So you are no longer the homeowner. So you might be listening to this from the comfort of your home and the moment you think about your home, you feel good about yourself because, well, hey, this is my home. Try and forget that for a second, that you are a homeowner. Because again, that's a convention, isn't it? Convention allows you to call yourself a homeowner, which is why you need a piece of paper to prove it. I'm talking about who are you when all records have been burnt and destroyed. When your identity card, if you have one, that has been destroyed. When your passport, if that is what you use to prove your identity. When your driver's license, if that is what you use to prove your identity, your birth certificate. When all those bits of paper that bear evidence that you are who you claim to be, when all of that has been shredded, now who are you? So this is now not in relation to anything else or to anyone else or to any event. Just you on your own at this moment in time. No, not the next moment, not two moments ago. Just this moment in time. Who are you now? Do you feel like the world around you is disappearing? Do you feel lonely? See, then we have a problem, don't we? Remember, we are working towards ultimate happiness, which is unconditional. So the big part of unconditional is that it shouldn't be based on conditions. Sorry to state the obvious. But the thing is, when when I ask you to imagine a world where you are all by yourself, disconnected from every other entity, If you're starting to feel so lonely, as most people do when they begin to feel this way, I mean, I don't mean when I'm asking you to imagine this, but, you know, there are times in life where perhaps it's a medical condition. Maybe someone has been affected psychologically. Sometimes, you know, people just feel this way when they feel that they've got no friends and everyone's just left them in the lurch, right? People can sometimes feel lonely. Now, this feeling of loneliness is not generally considered a positive emotion, is it? Now, we talked about emotions in our previous talk. Yeah, This is when your core is in motion, as in it's shaken. So we need to, it's important to start pulling those threads one by one together to try and piece all this up. So, again, I come back to the question, who are you 
you on your own, you all by yourself, disconnected from everything else. It's very difficult to define this, isn't it? The moment you try to imagine that you are nobody to anybody, you almost lose your bearings, right? I mean, how do you define yourself now when you, are, when you cannot say that you are someone's mother or when you cannot say that you are someone's wife or someone's daughter? How do you define yourself? When you cannot say that you are a citizen of a certain country or a, or, or a member of a certain club or even an alumni of a particular school or college, how do you define yourself objectively, not subjectively. How do you define yourself? Well, you see, to define yourself in these terms, you first need to understand who you are, disconnected from every other entity, because all other entities, they are conditions, aren't they? If you are the composite of all of the other conditions around you, and if that is how you define yourself, now you must begin to see that there's a huge problem with this. How does one go and achieve ultimate unconditional happiness if by the very definition of who you are, you are the totality of what other people have agreed and have come to a consensus? You see, we come across a real problem. So we need to try and find out who or maybe even what you are. Right. Now we know what the question is. Let's try and find some answers. And I want you to think alongside. I'd much prefer if you can come up with the answers before I have spurted them out. Because that way I know you know, you're really thinking about this and that really helps to develop your faculty of wisdom, which is an important part of on our, on our journey forwards because there'll be a point where I'm going to leave you with something one of these days and say, right, you know, folks, that's it from me. Now you've got the fundamental principles from here on, you can fly solo. And I'm going to leave you with that. Not today doubt it's going to be tomorrow but one of these days it's going to happen and i'll only do that when i know that you know you are when i'm confident that i have shared with you and hopefully you have gained the skills that you need to to fly solo but for the time being let's come back who are you now when you look at yourself in the mirror which is a usually where people to go to find out who they are, right? They either close their eyes, that's one way people, you know, when they want to contemplate on who they are, when they want to think about their options, what they're like, and you know, what their preferences are, who they are, one thing that people generally like to do is close their eyes. Or they go in front of the mirror. What do you see in the mirror? Do you see a doctor in the mirror? Do you? Do you see a teacher in the mirror? You know, if you walked up and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, 
No, 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 not who the fairest. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who am I? The mirror can only give you this one answer. What answer is that? Is the mirror going to say you're a teacher? How does the mirror know that? Your reflection does not say that you are a teacher. It does not say that you are a doctor or a professor. It does not say that you are a scientist. I'm not talking about, well, I'm dressed like one, Bhante. So surely when I'm dressed like an astronaut, the mirror is going to tell me that I'm an astronaut. Mm. No, I'm saying when we've disconnected you from all this. Okay, imagine you went and stood naked in front of the mirror. Now ask the mirror, who am I? Now the mirror is not going to be able to say any of the above things, is it? But it's going to tell you this. It's going to say, I see a mess. Not a mess. A mess. I see a body. Yeah? It's going to say, I see a body. This is what the mirror is going to say if you ask the mirror. Mirror, who am I? The mirror is going to say, I see a body. So there's skin, the eyes, nose, right? The, your face, facial features, the hair on your head if you have any. But I'm saying, imagine you stand, you stood naked in front of the mirror and you're observing what you see in the mirror. What do you see? You're going to see your body. This body that stands in front of the mirror, is it subjective? Is it subjective? Does it depend on what other people think it is? I don't mean the names. You know, the things that you see in the mirror, they'll have different names depending on which, where you're from, you know, which language. Because in different languages, they'll have different terms for the different parts of the body. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the names. I'm talking about, you know, what you actually see. Not the names. Ignore the names for a second. Because again, the names are also a convention. I'm not talking about the names. Because you learned what these parts of the body are called. So, remember when we started this activity? You're going to forget everything you, le you learned about yourself. So, therefore, if you have learned that this is called a face, then you must forget that. The fact that it's called a face. But we're going to have to use these words because otherwise I'm not going to be able to explain to you. Without language, we can't communicate. But what do you see in the mirror? You see a body, right? You see a face. You see eyes, ears, nose, tongue, if you stick it out, lips, chin, cheeks, forehead. As I said, hair, if you have any, neck, shoulders, your chest, abdomen, your waist, genitals, your legs, feet, toes, arms, hands, 
fingers, fingernails, right? body hair. These are some of the things that you'll see in the mirror. The fact that you have these things, right? As in bare presence. Think of it this way. So I'm, I'm asking you to take a very crude view of this. Now, this is, this is a little bit tricky because we've always come to understand ourselves in relation to others and what other people think about us. You see, let's take for a second this. That body you see in there, you might look at yourself and go, hmm, you know what? I'm good in the looks department. I, I, I actually look good. I'm beautiful. I'm pretty. You might, you might think that about yourself. But we know now, and by we I mean those of you who followed the talks up until this point, know that beauty is a convention. As much as beast. Beauty is a convention. Beauty is not a part, it's not an intrinsic part of any aspect of your body. It's what the mind thinks and believes about the body or about a part of the body. So this is why you ask one person, are you, am I pretty? Am I beautiful? Am I handsome? They'll go yes or no. And you ask another person and they might have either the same answer or they might have a completely opposite answer. So, again, that's subjective, isn't it? We've discussed this before. Beauty is subjective. Beauty in terms of sight, beauty in terms of sound, smell, taste, right? These are all subjective things. So, where did we start this activity? What did we agree to do? We agreed to discredit, ignore, completely ignore all other things that we have learned about ourselves, including the fact that you're beautiful if that is what you believe about yourself. On the contrary, if you believe that you're ugly, some which some people do, now, hey, it's not my part to say whether that's right or wrong. I'm just saying, for the purpose of this activity, I want you to ignore the fact that you believe you're either pretty, you're good-looking, you're beautiful, you're handsome, or the fact that you're simply ugly. Because this is subjective. It's not an objective attribute. People have to come to a consensus. People have to come to an agreement. Discussion and debate, these, these things are debatable, if you like. Right? The fact that you're beautiful is debatable. The fact that you're ugly is debatable because depending on who you ask, they're gonna, you're going to get a different perspective. But the fact that you have an eye or a pair of them, the fact that you have a nose, the fact that you have a chin, cheeks, a face, a neck, and some of the other things that I called out earlier. This is not subjective, is it? Who in their sane mind would look at you and go, no, you don't have a face? I mean, face it, it's not debatable, is it? Pardon the pun. It's undebatable. The fact that you have a face it's not, is not questionable because it is not subjective. So what you see in the mirror, what you see is exactly what you see is what you get. So what you see in the mirror is what you get. So 
why are we talking about this at, at this length? It's because we are trying to find out who we really are. And I promise you at some point you'll be thinking this in terms of actually Bhante, is it who we really are or what we really are? For the time being, if it makes doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and if it doesn't, if, if it feels like if it feels really weird to think of what you are, right? Let's just focus on who you are for the for the moment. Right? But I promise you, as we go forwards in our discussions, you will begin to understand this this question of who you are is absolutely meaningless because the fact the, the answer to the question who you are is also a convention. But we'll come to that later. The mirror doesn't tell you who you are. The mirror tells you what it sees. And the mirror says, I see a face. I see arms. I see legs. I see toes. I see fingers and fingernails. I see skin. If you cut yourself, it'll say, I see blood. I see muscle. I see flesh. I see bones. I see nerves and nerves and nerve endings. If you hold a microscope to it, it'll say, I see nerve cells. I see blood cells. I see axons, dendrons and dendrites, if you want to go that far. Yeah? I see the nucleus. I see the mitochondria. I see the ribosomes. You can go as far as you want. So microscopic or macroscopic, you can only see in the mirror, you can only see under the lens what really exists. So, is there any question that you have a body? We're not talking about a beautiful body or an ugly body. You have a body. Yeah? So that is undeniable. So, now we've agreed that there's, we've, we've discovered that there is one part about you that is not subject to discussion. It is not a convention. A body exists. You're all, all right with that, aren't you? A body exists. Beautiful, ugly, good-looking, handsome, yucky. Ah, no, 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 no. All that is convention. Depends on who you ask. We've got to leave out all the depends on who you asks to a side. And we are focusing on what you see in the mirror. I, I'm, I'm stressing this point because I need to be absolutely certain that you know, you're, you're with me on this. Because we are we are taking a, a huge stride forward on our journey. You know, we started out taking baby steps, right? And then small jumps and hops. And now we are starting to make strides forward. Before we start taking leaps forward. So, you're with me on this? Body. All right. So you've got a body. Everyone's got a body. In other words, a body exists. Bodies exist, right? Bodies exist, yeah? People who you live with. Okay, now look around for a second. What do you see? Do you see your son or do you see a body? No, 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 you can say, well, Bhante, that's my son's body. Y yes, but I said that's convention, right? The fact that there's a body is not convention. 
the fact that he's your son is convention because try asking his girlfriend. He's not going to say, that's my son. That is a convention. Now you see your friends. Do you see your friends or do you see a body? What do your eyes see? I'm talking about your eyes. Literally, your eyes. What do they see? Do they see a friend? Do they see a child? Do they see an adult? Do they see husbands, wives? What do they see? They see a body. So that is not subjective. This is pure objective. Because it's an object. A body is an object. As you know, in physics we learn, a, an object or a body in motion right? travels at this speed. What is its acceleration and so on? So bodies exist because they have mass. That's why I said, you see a mass. It's a body. Right. Okay with that? Excellent. So we have a body. Next, what else do we have? What else are you? Of course, the next obvious thing that comes to mind is, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The next thing that comes to mind is, of course, your mind. So the mind, there's no doubt that you have a mind. Unlike plants, trees, right, rocks, the suns, the seas, moons and the earth, inanimate things, right? Unlike any of these things you see up here, you and I, we have a mind. So we have a body and we have a mind. This mind that allows us to think. This mind that allows us to contemplate, to accept and perceive thoughts. Right? We can change our mind, we can make our mind. We can think about things and we can try and not think about things. At least try. Yeah? So all these beautiful things that we are able to do, we are able to do because we have a mind. Only things which have a mind can make changes to itself. Things that don't have a mind cannot make changes to itself. Changes have to be made to it. But any object which also couples with a mind is able to make changes, go through self-inflicted changes, then this is because a mind can think. And it doesn't even have to be a human being, an animal, a dog, a cat, deer, a lion, sheep, fish, right? They can move, they can eat, sleep, reproduce, then jump and run and do all sorts of wonderful things. So they can make changes to their state of the of the, the state of their physical existence because they possess a mind. Unlike a tree, a tree can't make changes to itself. It has to subject itself 
it is it is entirely subject to the environment in which it is in now of course biologists will say that a tree is alive and you know there are cells in which which breathe and and produce food right and and all that good stuff yeah okay but a tree doesn't have a mind right? a tree will always function how it's designed to function but not animals people like you and I who have a mind the reason i'm saying these things to you and i'm not st stood in front of a tree talking to it is because i know that none of these things will ever make any change to a tree it's not going to an apple tree is never going to start to grow oranges just because i stand in front of it and go you know what it's better oranges are better this in this season you know better than apples no an apple tree is always going to grow apples but i can stand in front of you i can tell you hey you're going to do your shopping this week you know what apples nah not good try oranges this time i can influence you because you have a mind and if you accept my influence then this evening you're going to be having oranges for dessert not apples but i could stand an entire eon in front of an apple tree if it lasts that long and tell it to grow oranges instead of apples it's never going to start growing oranges so i'm now this might sound really simple i i mean bante it's obvious yes yes we get the idea there's a mind yes but you know although you may not be picking up this i'm sending subtle messages so i'm not saying this is subliminal messaging or anything of that sort but i'm 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 sharing with you some aspects of what the mind is capable of what is it that makes a mind what is it about a mind that makes it that qualifies it to be called a mind why is a mind called a mind these are some of the things we need to start thinking about because when we start to consider who we are right we know that we have a mind in other words a mind exists so a body exists and a mind exists is there anything else that exists can you think of anything else a body exists and a mind exists so unless i'm mistaken two main branches of medicine one deals with physiology the other with psychology so one deals with the body the other deals with the mind so whether you call whether you start to branch further branch it further categorize and classify it as cardiology endocrinology right and uh, all sorts of things like that again you're dealing with the physiology and then psychology the other branch so these two things exist a mind and a body so can i ask the question who are you because if i ask you the question who are you and i ask you to to ignore everything that you have learned about yourself 
all of the conventions, everything you learned about yourself at school, everything you learned about yourself from your parents, everything you learned about yourself from your friends, from your spouse, from the workplace, what it says on your contract, what it says on the title deeds. Hmm? If you ignore all this, you're still left with these two things, aren't you? A mind and a body. You don't need any piece of paper to evidence that you have a body, do you? Do you have a piece of paper? If you lost it, then someone's going to argue and debate and disagree that you have a body? Oh, I better not lose that piece of paper because if I do, then people won't believe that I have a body. No. Because it's not subjective. You don't have to prove. You don't have to evidence. You don't need, an, you don't need a card or a document or a booklet that says that you have a body. It is undeniable, unquestionable. It's not debatable. Because that is part of what you are. What about the mind? Do you need evidence that you have a mind? Must you have to walk around proving to others, hey, you know what, I have a mind, prove it. No? You may have to prove that you are sane of mind and not insane of mind. Perhaps, you know, there are some jobs for which you have, if you wish to apply, then you have to show that you are of a good, good mind. That you are sane. And that perhaps you have good mental stamina. Perhaps. But you're never going to be asked at a job interview, do you have a mind? Your answer should, to that should be, if ever asked that, uh, do you mind? Because that is not a meaningful question at all. Because you are a body and a mind. Now do you see? Does it make a whole lot of sense to be asking you this question? Who are you? Or would it make more sense to ask you the question, what are you? If I were to take a glass of water, right? So imagine a glass with water. Can I ask the question, who is this? Is that a sensible question to be asking? Makes no sense, does it? Instead, what should I be asking you? If I want to get a sensible answer from you, the question should be, what is this? So you'll say, Bhante, it's a glass, and in it, there is some water. So it's a glass of water. Now, in much the same way, let's take you, right? Now, I really need you to play with me here, because this can... It'll, you know, if you really understand this, you know, that, that'll be a great, uh, a huge step forward. If you don't, let's not worry too much about that because we will cover this ground further in our future talks. But I, I think, I think, I think you're all capable of, of grasping this concept. I just, I just so wish that you were here right now because then I would be able to read your facial expressions and make sure that you 
understand what I'm sharing with you. But nonetheless, you know, this is the best we have for the time being. If I were to hold you in my palm, I know, never going to be possible, but let's just say we, I, 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 could, I could get a miniature size of you, right? So I would shrink you to something about that tall, put you on, on my palm and then ask the question, what is this? I ask what because the moment I ask who, you're going to have to refer to convention. Either you'll have to give me a name or you'll have to give me a profession or something like that. But when I ask what is this, this what is a, is a very powerful question because you can answer it without reference to subjectivity. You can base your answer purely on objective data. So, previously I held a glass of water and asked you, what is this? And you, did, you agreed with me that I couldn't ask the question, who is this? What is this made sense? Now, I'm asking you to stand on my, uh, on my palm and I ask you the question, who is this? Wrong question. Why? Because then you're going to have to refer to subjective terms. What is this? Now you'll go what? It's a body. Right? It's a body and a mind. Isn't it? A body and a mind. Much like previously, there was a glass and water. And now we have a body and a mind. Now if I were to take another glass with water, I admit that there are different glasses. Yes, they're different glasses. It's not the same glass. We take a, a, a separate glass with a separate amount of water. So it's not the same water. You don't pour the water from one glass to the other. It's just it's a different specimen of glass and water. You'll still say it Bhante, it's still a glass and some water. Now, if I were to take you onto my palm and ask the question, what, you're going to have to say, it's a body and a mind. Let's get you down and get someone else on my palm and now ask the question, what? Again, you're going to have to say, body and a mind. Get another person to hop on. What? Again, a body and a mind. And yet another one. Hop on. What is this? Body and a mind. Well, okay, then what is this? Bante. Really? That's subjective, isn't it? You have chosen. You have come to a, we have all come to a convention. We have agreed to call this person a Bante because I'm a monk. But take away convention. Now what do you see? Do I need to, I, need, I may need to prove that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a monk. Yeah? And, and, you know, look at the way I'm dressed. This proves that I'm a monk. But do I need to prove that I have a body and a mind? That goes without question. That's undeniable. So the fact that there's a body and a mind is out of question, out of the question. So that is clearly, undeniably, undisputably, Part of what I am, isn't it? So what are you? 
a body and mind. Will you accept and agree to refer to yourself as a body and a mind as we continue this discussion? To get to, you know, where we want to get to with this, with this, with this argument. Because I'm trying to remove all the conventional truths, take all that out, and show you who you really are at your core. Aha, yes, well done if you caught me there. Not who you are, but what you are. Because the moment we start talking about who you are, we are going to have to refer to convention again. Because all who's are made of stuff, borrowed stuff. You borrowed your name from someone. It's yours to keep until you die. Isn't it? You know, long after you're dead, you'll be, be forgotten. Sometimes soon after, sometimes long after. You'll be forgotten. So your name will, will be forgotten. So it's a borrowed thing. Your title is a borrowed one. Because you know, whoever gave it, you can take it away from you. Whoever gave you your letter of appointment can also give you your letter of, of, of dismissal. <laughs> so it's a borrowed title. It's not yours. It's not part of what you are. It's only a temporary element of who you are. Defined and designed by those around you and the environment in which you live. So it's not part of your core. Now this is a very important milestone on this conversation. So this is not the be-all and end-all of our discussion. But I needed, I needed to make sure that you're, you know, you're firmly stood where I want you to be at this point. Right? I want to continue this discussion. To continue this discussion, so let's say we next week, when we get back together, I need you to have grasped this idea clearly in your minds that when I start talking about what you are, you know exactly what I mean. So we're only still scratching the surface. There's, we need to go deeper. Right? And the further we go, the more questions will start coming into your mind and the more answers they will bring alongside. So it's going to be a really fun and interesting journey. That, that much I can promise you. It's going to be really interesting. Because we're talking about the one thing that matters to all of you universally. Right? Politics might interest some, will not interest others. Economics will interest some, won't interest, interest others. Art. Music, dance, will interest some, won't interest others. The Formula One interests some, but doesn't interest others. Right? So, but there's one thing that interests us all, and that is us. Me, I, myself. Who am I? What am I? This is a question that everyone's looking for an answer. Everyone. I want to help you find an answer to this question because this is all about self-discovery. 
Christopher Columbus went ahead and discovered America, but I doubt he ever discovered himself. Because this journey of self-discovery was the journey that the Bodhisattva, the Buddha aspirant, took for a long time until his enlightenment, when he finally discovered what he was. The moment he discovered what he was, he no longer asked the question, who am I? Right now, this may seem like just, you know, a play of words. Who? Why? Why, Bhante? Why? You know, what's wrong with who? I mean, should is it, why are you so specific? Why are you trying to emphasize this what? I mean, you know, I, is who such a bad, terrible thing? Is that, does it have absolutely no rhyme or reason? You know, it's, it's okay. You know, we, I'm not saying you're forbidden from using the word who, and particularly, you know, if you, as you live in society and among your friends and family, you know, please continue to refer to, you know, and use this. It's, it's perfectly fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to shape your life outside of these talks. Remember, convention is for us to live in. Right? So we must always live adhering to and abiding and conforming to convention. But the absolute truth is what will set us free. We know that convention does not set us free. In other words, why are people fighting for their freedom? Hmm? People who fight for their freedom, they're fighting for a conventional freedom, aren't they? So surely convention has not set them free. But once you understand the absolute truth, about what you are, that realization in itself is your freedom. Freedom from all conditions that have kept you bound to your to you defining yourself through them. But once you understand the real you, what you are at your core, then you truly become unconditional. So this unconditional happiness, it has Meaning deep and profound at so many different levels. You're only still starting to see the surface of it. That's why I'm saying this is going to be such a fun and interesting journey as we make take steps forward. So please make sure you come along with us. So tune into these talks regularly, and I'm sure you do. And do take some time to contemplate on this topics that we talk about and whenever you are whenever you have the time you know go back and listen to one or two in case you might have missed them or you feel that it's it would be good to have another listen to it but in any case stay with us and come along with us on this journey to discovering what you are before i conclude when i continue this talk this discussion next week. I need you to be on board with this idea, with this concept that we are from here on going to talk about what you are and no longer who you are, at least for the purpose of this conversation and, and this, you know, the argument that I'm trying to get through to you. Okay? So, as long as you're comfortable with that, that's what I want. All right. So, before we conclude then, for today, let us take a moment to transfer 
merits to all those who have helped us to get this far, to listen to these talks, to listen to, to understand, to comprehend the insight that is going to let us free. Let's take a moment to transfer merits to everyone, to all those people who have helped us and supported us and assisted us in getting this far and those people who will be with us on this journey to achieving ultimate happiness. All right. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dharma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all the other monks resident at this monastery, as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plain, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain, and may to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. And may to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons, daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us and supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer to the devas and brahma, spirits and demons, Primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to, to protect the f- and fulfill the Sambhu Sasana. Let us also transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may to the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara. There is also transformation to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. 
It is also transmitted to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities, such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. And may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. It is all resolved that may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may to the power of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an Arahatun Vahanse, an Arahateranin Vahanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude for today. Looking forward to continuing our talk next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all forever.